Hi, Humphrey. Thank you so much for appearing on today's episode of the Enabled in Academia podcast. We're very excited to have you. Hi there. Yeah, no, it's great to be here. <laughs> um, so normally before we start, I always ask all my guests to sort of introduce themselves um, by sharing their greatest academic accomplishments and their research focus. And I know you, you've previously mentioned how you've had some recognition in New York recently. Yes. So I'm currently a PhD at King's College London. I'm in my third year. I'm in the okay. human-centered computing group. And in that group, I work on assistive technologies specifically communication devices that support people with living with aphasia. And um, yes, in terms of achievements, I guess the most recent one this year was uh, in New York at Assets, which is sort of the main assistive tech conference. Um, I was awarded best student paper, so that was very exciting. And I guess that would be my main academic achievement so far. Yeah, that sounds so excellent. And as I said as well to you before, um, sort of recognition in the academic world is so key and obviously sort of publicisation of research. Um, so obviously it would be really helpful, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I, To be honest with you, I was more delighted because the nature of the research I do is I, I try to co-design technology. So I approach a community living with uh, aphasia and we collaborate together, we run a lot of workshops and we build the assistive technology together. Mm-hmm. So it was just very rewarding for uh, the main charity partner I work with, Aphasia Reconnect, to receive some recognition as well and, and to uh, see that these co-designed ideas, these grassroots ideas that come very much from the people living with aphasia uh, could receive you know, recognition from the wider academic community. Yeah, absolutely. And do you mind telling the podcast what aphasia is and how aphasia sufferers may feel? Okay, so aphasia is uh, a communication impairment, which typically occurs post-stroke, but it also can be caused by other forms of damage to the language centers of your brain. Mm -hmm. Um, So at Aphasia Reconnect, I mainly work with people who have uh, aphasia post-stroke. It's Although you can get it, as I said, from, you know, perhaps um, traumatic brain injury or from dementia. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess it's it's just a, a condition that's becoming, you know, more people are developing more awareness of the condition. But ultimately, it's it's not a very publicly recognized condition. I believe fewer than 10 percent of the population know about aphasia or are aware of aphasia, despite the fact it affects about um I think the statistics are a third of people post-stroke, they lose the ability to uh, either speak or um, comprehend language or understand language, but it affects people very uniquely because our brain structures are incredibly complex. So, you know, it's not a very one size fits all uh, condition, you know, it can affect people very, very differently. Mm -hmm. And as you said, like the 10% statistic, I'm sure maybe people I mean, it sounds so interesting, by the way, but I'm sure people kind of do understand some uh, post-stroke or brain trauma sort of side effects, isn't it? It's more obviously understood, but I think just the specific condition names, etc. aren't really understood. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, it's just from from what I've learned from spending time with people at the clinic, often when they meet with people in public and they perhaps have language difficulties and get flustered, uh, and then try to explain to members of the public that I have aphasia. Qu- 
quite a few people are just unaware of what exactly aphasia is. So it's just easier to say, you know, I've had a stroke because there's a lot more awareness of what a stroke is than aphasia. But, you know, charities such as the Hidden Disabilities Lanyard uh, Charity are doing a really great job, I think, of promoting these sort of hidden disabilities like aphasia. Um, and I think, you know, things such as the Sunflower Lanyard are really great to sort of use in public to promote awareness of these things. Yes, absolutely. Um, and do you mind me sort of, as it is Disability History Month as well, by the way, which we're so excited about. Um, I yep. s- one of my aims for this podcast is to sort of increase the recognition of positive disabled role models. So not just to like um, sort of discuss like challenges, but also to sort of increase some sort of reassurance for disabled people and students in higher ed. And I like your work. I, it resonated with me because it sort of seems to be part of a solution in, in some sort of way. And it seems to be sort of, that sort of has an optimistic focus, isn't it? And um, so do you mind telling us about any sort of historical instances of like disabled positive role models or any amazing disabled people you've met? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, the main role model for me because of where I work, uh, well, my my particular PhD topic is obviously Professor Stephen Hawking because he's the most notable user of AAC devices. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's obviously... I guess, one of the the greatest contributors to physics and science ever known. So, you know, he's an amazing role model. And uh, despite communication difficulties, you know, he was able to uh, communicate incredible uh, knowledge about um, physics and about our understanding of of the world. Um, In terms of people I've met, uh, the most notable uh, disability rights advocate I've met was uh, last year at Assets, I met Habengerma. Um, who is a notable activist from the deafblind community. And she was the keynote speaker at Assets in 2022 uh, in Athens. And her keynote was fantastic. I've not read her book yet, but um, she had just amazing anecdotes from, um, you know, meeting Obama and setting policy all the way to how now she's been learning surfing and her experiences surfing as a deafblind person, which I thought was really, really amazing. Um, and then, yeah, next year at Assets, uh, we are going to St. John's in Canada, which is where, uh, which was, I believe it was chosen because Terry Fox, the runner, started his run across Canada. Um, he ran with a prosthetic limb in the, I believe it was the early 80s or late 70s. And he's considered one of Canada's most famous sports people. So he would be another one who I guess is more historical, but still, you know, contributed well beyond, um, you know, contributed massively to Canadian history and disability um, more broadly. Absolutely. And I like how broad your examples are as well, isn't it? Sort of mentioning like more past instances and as well some recent instances as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no. Well, <laughs> Haben Germa was amazing to meet. You know, she was a, a wonderful keynote. So, so that was quite exciting. And yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, as as things like the Disability Awareness Month um, and History Month, uh, you know, I guess increase people's knowledge of of some of these amazing uh, people that have come before and are currently, um, you know, doing great things and and giving back hugely. Yes. Um, Another sort of question I wanted to ask was to sort of, this, I wanted to discuss with you the significance of Disability History Month and 
expanding inclusion in higher ed sectors in general? Like, why do you think that this is significant? Okay, well, I think it's massively significant to sort of raise awareness. Um, and also, you know, uh, having seen, uh, if I cast my mind back to Haben Germer's keynote, you know, there are still many barriers in higher education. Mm-hmm. And she discussed in great, in great detail the many that she experienced. And, um, you know, it, it took a lot more, uh, I believe, sacrifice, dedication, uh, persistence for her to eventually conquer um, Harvard Law, as she discusses in great detail in her um, memoir, which I, I've yet to read. But, um, you know, I just think it's incredibly important to make uh, education um, as accessible as possible, and everyone should have a right to education. Um, and within that space, I guess technology will play a very important role, you know, making sure that online materials have captions and subtitles, making learning resources, you know, very accessible, um, you know, providing materials online so that people can access them through, you know, Chrome, if they have useful Chrome extensions, such as screen readers, that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, I, I hopefully going forward, education will become more accessible. And I believe initiatives such as Disability History Month will hopefully improve awareness. And my advisor, uh, Tim Neat, has been doing a lot of training of King staff to improve the accessibility of their materials that they put online. So, you know, I think initiatives like this are just very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something I actually wanted to discuss as well was sort of some of the tech, um, some of the assistive tech that's been developed in recent times in regards to um, helping these aims further? Yeah, so, you know, the fact that teaching is now very hybrid and you can do sort of a lot of your learning online um, and through these computer devices, well, you know, within this, these devices hopefully have a lot built into them to, you know, make them assistive and to make your consumption of media and material um, more accessible. You know, you can have, various extensions on Chrome that can, uh, you know, perform the function of a screen reader or, you know, uh, there was that big trend with, um, you know, changing text in various ways to make reading more accessible, adding things such as a a ruler. Um, If you have perhaps ADHD or you struggle with, um, you know, uh, consuming written media, there was that one, what was it, the bionic uh, writing, which kind of went viral online a bit this year, where it was sort of, it was an extension that basically turns text into, um, to make it sort of bionically readable for those living with ADHD or with autism who perhaps maybe struggle reading um, standard text. So, I mean, you know, hopefully, you know, there's, there's more uh, innovation in this space to make, uh, you know, general media online and also, um, you know, uh, academic material online more accessible and, and, and make learning more fun and, and easier, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Um, something that I've been I've discussed with some of my prior guests as well is sort of the um, innovation of AI and sort of that sort of role in um, sort of helping to maybe close this disability mar- marginality gap in higher ed as well sort of the pros mm-hmm. and cons of that. So I've had prior guests like Paul D. Ottomans, who owns an educational AI company, several companies, sorry. Um, I've also had other 
guests reiterate the same thing. So it's really interesting to see, isn't it, um, this work and development? Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, I've heard lots of people sort of use uh, large language models such as ChatGPT to help with their writing or to help with, um, you know, their, their uh, various academic work. You know, um, always well, within my space and within uh, assistive tech more broadly, we've seen a massive emergence in using AI to try and improve uh, assistive technologies or innovate within that space. Um, always, I think that, you know, we must focus on very person-centered, community-driven solutions. So we mustn't just pursue AI and tech just because it's an exciting and novel space. We must always try and not, you know, retain focus on the community and the people's needs rather than focusing on on, on the exciting technology itself and the promises it entails. Um, so I have seen some work that have you know, suggested trepidation within this space, but obviously, you know, the sort of the genie's out the bottle, really, and there'll only be more innovation within this space. Absolutely. It does seem like it's um, constantly adapting, isn't it? Yeah, precisely. I mean, you know, just the amount of money that's been pumped into sort of AI research in the last few years is is staggering. And there's just been a huge amount of research and development um, you know, all the companies uh, that come to assets, sort of the Apples, the Googles of this world, they're all, you know, very, very keen and sort of now how you can leverage machine learning or language models or artificial intelligence or deep learning to try and improve their pre-existing um, features and technologies that they provide. But yeah, you know, I, I, I guess I, I think it should always be done cautiously and it should always be done, you know, with total respect of the community that you're designing and building this technology with. Uh, and it should always be done to, you know, be helpful and provide important solutions for the people that you're working with. It shouldn't just be done just because it's a desirable new tech. You know, it's, it's basically, a, you know, an exciting new space. Yeah, and you know what? So I was actually, uh, a, f a while ago, I had like the privilege of meeting this really interesting King's Illumini, who's actually a blind lawyer and um, he owns businesses as well. Um, disability inclusion businesses, right? Um, he's called yep. Fergus, um, I don't know how to pronounce his surname, McDonald or McDansfield, I'm not sure. But he oh, wow. is so interesting, like that he says, a point that he mentioned was that um, in technology development spaces sometimes dis disabled people tend to be an afterthought and at first the first few um, innovation attempts or um, trials of tech tend to exclude disabled people and the features have to be implemented afterwards in like upgraded models um, for instance mm -hmm. like a really mainstream example he noted was sort of the innovation of the first iPhones how like the first couple of like one or two models was like completely inacce inaccessible to like some disabled users and they had really limited voiceover features etc yeah I completely agree mm. um, you know the, the social model of disability I don't know if you've read that um, paper by Tom Shakespeare you know mm. talks about how uh, people are you know it, it removes this notion of, of disability residing with the individual. It makes it much more societal responsibility. Yeah. And I think that's definitely the case. I think people get excluded because uh, technologies are built without taking into consideration uh, various communities and various peoples. And I think that 
you know, his example of the, the iPhone is a very good one. Um, and certainly within AI, I, there was a paper this year at Assets in New York, which sort of discussed the fact that um, some of these text to picture models, so things like um, DALI, where you input some text and it will generate some images, can be quite ableist. So mm -hmm. they had um, they prompted DALI with um, various for, for various imagery of, of people living with disabilities, and it offered quite ableist uh, interpretations of disability, which was kind of alarming. And mm -hmm. I think kind of speaks about what this this gentleman was discussing in relation to the iPhone. You know, the fact that a lot of this technology is not designed thinking of particular communities in mind or keeping them close in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And during a disabled student society at King's, um, another topic that we discussed as well in relation to this was sort of, um, was just sort of how it, it is sort of a convenience. If tech models implemented disability features in the first place, it could also benefit other groups, for instance, like not just tech models, but companies in general, it could also benefit other groups, right? Like maybe elder uh, people of elder age is, for instance, children, like, you know what I mean? So there'd be financial agree. convenience. You know, it's, it's amazing how some uh, technologies which were designed originally to be assistive can achieve massive mainstream success. Like, I mean, when I take the tube to work every day at King's, I see so many people consuming TV on their mobile phones with captions and subtitles on, and those have become, you know, such a massively popular technology. I, th I believe Netflix, I think 50% of people that consume Netflix watch Netflix with captions on, even though, you know, it was originally a technology designed for people who are uh, deaf and hard of hearing, right? But mm -hmm. it's become such a mainstream technology. And there's tons of examples of this. Within AAC, T9, so the old way of texting on sort of old Nokia and various phones was originally an AAC innovation and that achieved main su mainstream success, right? All mobile phones operated via T9 um, back before we had smartphones. Um, I think someone at BT told me that their best-selling phone was designed for older adults. So it was designed with sort of, it was a, a, a landline with massive blue buttons and that yeah. was uh, their best-selling ever phone, you know, uh, it was just very, very popular within the mainstream, even though it was originally designed for, you know, a specific community in mind. So I, I completely agree with you. I think if we design for um, various communities up front and we're, we, we design to make things as accessible as possible, you know, those can often be become very mainstream and popular things regardless. Mm -hmm. And you know what, I was so excited when you mentioned this because another point that I had also heard um, as well during some sort of King's network event, networking events was that um, texting was, I think as we mentioned before, it was originally innovated for the hearing impaired community and so the fact that it's so mainstream now is just overwhelming. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? You know, there's definitely, I think, a paper there to just discuss all these amazing innovations that were originally designed to be assistive technologies, which have just received, you know, massive um, success more widely. Yeah, uh, for sure. Like, I mean, it's 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 incredible the amount of times I go over to friends and uh, families' households and they're just watching TV with captions on, 
even though uh, you know they may not be members of the deaf and hard of hearing community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and before we go now, I normally ask all my guests, sort of for closing off, um, if they have any further reading recommendations in general. Okay, wonderful. Well, I you know before I I give those, thank you so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed it, and I hope oh, you've you're welcome. I've, I've added a bit to the the podcast in some way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I have a few reading recommendations. I'm actually holding one here. <laughs> Great. Um, so this is Design Meets Disability by Graham Pullen, who is a professor at the University of Dundee. Yeah. And I read this. So this was recommended to me by a postdoc in my lab, who I may recommend uh, to come on the podcast at some point, Soraya Ibrahim, yeah. because she's done amazing work uh, within AAC and now she's moved into more um, supporting children living with uh, disabilities mm-hmm. um, but in this book what it discusses is it discusses you know why can't uh, assistive technology be you know very aesthetically desirable um, and why can't you know it just discusses all these wonderful directions of, of improving the design of assistive technology making assistive tech more like sort of the way eyewear's gone the way eyewear and glasses are, you know, these very fashionable, exciting, even stylish technologies, how mm-hmm. various other assistive technologies could themselves become, you know, aesthetically desirable and, um, you know, be designed in a very nice and cutting edge way. So it's just a really, really good book. So, you know, I, I strongly recommend it. Yeah. Um, and otherwise, you know, the the uh, the Haben Germa book, you know, the Deaf Deafblind Woman Who Conquered Harvard Law is on my to-read list. I haven't read it yet, but, you know, I think she's a great disability advocate based on her keynote that I saw. Yeah, that sounds absolutely incredible. And thank you so much for appearing on today's episode of the Enabled in Academia podcast, especially during Disability History Month. Um, It was a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome.